This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tile starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, fairly kind of sort of indifferent to the Bulls firing head coach Fred Hoiberg, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we dive in, as per usual, I just want to remind, implore, beg, and plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes. Take the five to ten seconds out of your day, por favor, and hit Hardwood Knox in iTunes, search it, excuse me. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, do that, but definitely leave us ratings and reviews. That's our best, one of our best ways to track listeners. We can also be heard, consumed, whatever word you want to use, wherever else you get your podcasts. And with that, though, out of the way, and I hope that as I'm talking now, you guys are already just on iTunes really trying to drive our rating numbers up. We have to ask. We need to ask. Our day, our week, our lives cannot go on without asking. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, boy, I, I worry about your lives if you can't go on without knowing that. Uh, listen, <laughs> I honestly can't go on without knowing that. So, you know. Well, I'm doing good. I hope that makes you uh, ready to, and eager to press on with this day. I am. Uh, we have part two of our Western Conference grades, but we did want to tackle briefly the news that Fred Hoiberg was fired by the Chicago Bulls. It was, it seems like my, and we both said we don't have too many thoughts on this. It seems like this was a long time coming. I don't know why they did it now, unless they really believe that Jim Boylan is the future on the sidelines and they wanted to really give him an opportunity. But Chicago's just starting to get healthy in the sense that uh, Laurie Markinen just returned. And they're 5-19 and 19 as we're recording this, and they're not supposed to be any better. They're supposed to be contending for one of the worst records in the league. And I don't know, I can't imagine this was a, he lost the locker room type situation just because the bulls have had some turnover the last few years and they don't have a player on the roster or players where you would be like, Oh, we have to pick them over the coach. It almost just seems like this was changed for changes sake. And I don't think Hoiberg wowed anyone. And the athletic Sam Vecini pointed this out on Twitter after the firing that Hoiberg was, build as this innovator coming into the NBA because he was one of the first college coaches just to recognize the importance of shot profile. It wasn't that his offense was super complex. It's that he wanted his teams to get to the rim and 
and shoot threes, which isn't con isn't a convoluted approach, but it you know it is an effective one. Even so, if you're unimpressed with Fred Hoiberg, that's fair. If you didn't want him coaching the Bulls long term, that's fair. Chicago, even by those fundamental simplistic terms, never gave Fred Hoiberg the roster to implement that type of offense. They gave him a bunch of non-shooters, that team that had Rondo and Dwayne Wade, uh, even though Rondo shot pretty well from three that year in Chicago, I believe. It just, it never made any sense. And that's kind of where I stand on this. I don't think he's, I don't think this was an unjustified firing. The timing is just weird. It seems like he could have made this decision either right away when the season began or more preferably before the season or after it, just kind of when you're approaching a different fresh start. So I don't under necessarily understand the timing of it unless he communicated that he really wanted to return to the coaching ranks or explore other opportunities within the NBA. That's kind of where I stand on this. I'm, I'm more pro Hoiberg just in the sense that how, how do Gar Foreman and John Paxson still have jobs? And what is the logic behind getting a coach like Hoiberg with the offenses he he coached at Iowa, and then giving him the players that you have over the past three plus years. Uh, I don't really have any way to agree or to <laughs> disagree with any of that. I think that's all spot on. Um, when was the last time the Bulls were in the playoffs? I'm looking that up now. 2016, 2017, right? That's oh, wow. Jimmy Butler year. Yeah, that was actually a lot more recent than I thought. Um but the 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 Hoyt or the Thibodeau era with like Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah and uh Derrick Rose, even that's more recent than I thought. They they were in the playoffs in fourteen fifteen as well. Um maybe this is <laughs> signifying how bad the last few years have been for the Bulls, because it seems like a lot longer than the last four years that they've had the issues that they've had. I, I totally agree with you. I don't think the the front office has really done him any favors over the course of his four years there. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that he made it to the fourth year. It was um, on shaky ground at best. I mean, I mean, I feel like these rumors have kind of been swirling around Fred Hoiberg for a couple of years now. Um, and yeah, I just, <laughs> to me, most of the blame should probably be going on the front office and uh, they continue to escape it. Not, not necessarily from fans and writers. I think they've appropriately appropriately reacted to the last few years and some of the crazy moves that they've made. Um, but uh, from the ownership standpoint, it certainly seems to be on the coach, which is probably not where it should be. I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. It's and it's it's weird too because they should probably get more shit for not being a free agency destination when they have like all this cap flexibility. We're talking about yeah. uh, and they're one. Storied franchises in the league. Um, I think the perfect example, and someone mentioned this on Twitter right after the Hoiberg firing, the Knicks are considered the favorite to land Kevin Durant, and yet the Bulls, I don't know, there's probably not as much mystique attached to the idea of winning a championship there just because it's been done in the semi-recent history, but if you're the first person in Chicago to win a title in the post-Michael Jordan era... That's yeah. pretty substantial too. And it's like you said, they are one of the most story franchises in the history of the game. Yeah. And if they if uh they turn down Parker's option, they've got almost fifty million in cap room. Yeah, they can get to max space. And even if they 
I, I guess even they can be even aggressive at the trade deadline and still get there because they have expiring contracts like Holiday Lopez. You can even view Parker as a expiring contract because of that team option. So that they could, if they really want to steer into the rebuild, that's fine too. But it doesn't really seem like they've committed one way or the other. And while I think the Zach Levine deal looks a little bit more justifiable, it'll be intriguing to see kind of how he sees when he when he's not when he shouldn't be taking all the shots that he's yeah. taking, and he he's eventually a complimentary piece. We'll see what that contract looks like. He's he's it, tailed off quite a bit since the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think he's probably better off suited as a number two option, or at least someone who's not looked at as a borderline offensive lifeline, maybe having Lowry back will really help him. Um, especially as that front court, him and Wendell Carter Jr. Just uh, develop. I, the, they still don't seem like they've committed one way or the other. And I guess Levine's contract kind of puts them in this weird spot because you've given a ton of money to someone who's still young, but now you've, you know, forget this season, you have three years, a ton of money left on that deal. And is there, sort of just this ingrained pressure to to try and win now though so it does still seem like even though they're bad they're hovering in two different directions that said they have their pick this year it, it should it has a decent chance about being in the top five I like Mark Nin I know a lot of people said that he's probably become a little bit overrated I disagree even if you think he's overrated as a scorer I, I really think he's impressed as a rebounder um, and he's also just a little bit better of a defender or depending on what you thought of him a lot better of a defender than people gave him credit for. And then Wendell Carter Jr., you were hiring him before the draft, and he's just been fantastic for them. So they they do kind of have a some sort of a foundation laid, but as Danny LaRue of the Dunkdown podcast points out ad nauseum, ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA. And why are Gar Foreman and John Paxson not the owners, obviously, but why are they still why are they still here and allowed to operate with carte blanche at this point? It's pretty wild. And if I'm Kevin Durant or, or Kawhi Leonard, I think I'd much rather play with Chris Depp's Porzingis than Zach Levine. Um, that's my last take on that situation. Um, that would move us into the Western Conference grades portion of this podcast. Uh, we left off. Um, the last team we did was the Pelicans, which brings us to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are 12-12 and 12, uh, as of this podcast. They are third. This is all per cleaning the glass. They are 13th in offensive efficiency, 18th in defensive efficiency, and 18th in net rating. Uh, you had the key stat for this team, so I'll let you take it away. This one's pretty obvious, uh, I think. And you asked me <laughs> if it was related to this before we started recording, so I'm glad I did hit on this. But since Jimmy Butler left the team, Minnesota is plus 7.8 points per 100 possessions. Um, before he left, they were minus 7.2. So that's, uh, quick math, a 15-point swing since Jimmy Butler left. And here's another one. Um, when Covington and Saric, who were obviously the return for Jimmy Butler, are both on the floor, the Timberwolves are plus 14.1 points per 100 possessions. Um, sometimes, you know, Jimmy Butler was a top 10 player last year. He probably, I don't, I don't remember where he was the year before, um, probably around there as well. It just wasn't fitting chemistry wise. Um, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't fitting for a bunch of reasons. And this is a clear example that sometimes you just, you just have to sort of wipe the slate clean and, and start fresh. And Robert Covington seems to be a great fit there. Um, a guy who knows that he just needs to play defense, knock down threes. Um, he doesn't command a ton of shots. 
he he's just an excellent excellent fit i i think they did pretty dang well in the uh jimmy butler trade it's looking better and better for them by the day um what what grade did you give them Ooh, i gave them uh i didn't give them a grade i'm gonna give them a b that's a solid grade. I gave them a C plus just because we have to take into account the Jimmy Butler drama. And they definitely, just from all the stuff we heard post offseason, they let that drag on for too long. It seems that Tibbs kind of knew about probably, yeah. all this way well before the whole Jimmy Butler tour divorce, as Woj put it. So that so, tour divorce. Yeah, I don't know. That's just one of the funniest things ever. Uh, so I don't think I can really give them a higher grade than that. It does seem like they did really well. In the Jimmy Butler trade, I still kind of worry with, you know, Sarge is extension eligible this summer. Covington's on a nice deal. I get that they probably couldn't have gotten much more, but the, the absence of a first-round pick uh, that hasn't conveyed yet or turned into an actual player, it, it, it's it could end up being just a little bit damning because you're just looking at the payroll for this team, and they're still not going to have cap flexibility this summer. Uh, Towns' max deal kicks in next year. Andrew Wiggins is in the first year of that five-year contract that seems to go on for two decades somehow. Uh, I don't, it's I, like, I don't know what to make of this team's long-term future anymore. And the, the Andrew Wiggins thing only complicates matters. I mean, he's played a little bit better over his past like two games, but since the Jimmy Butler trade, are you ready for Andrew Wiggins' slashing numbers? Ooh, yes. He is slashing shooting percentages, 34.4% from the field overall. 33.3% from three and 67.9% from the foul line. He's a plus 4.1 on average during that time. But again, the Timberwolves have been uh, pretty good. I just don't, that's going to be, I, I honestly don't, that's really going to just kill their, their long-term plans. And you're, you're looking at a guy who's probably going to have to shoulder more of a pull-up workload eventually. And um, he's just, I, I don't know that he, he might be more comfortable in that role, but it's still just not pretty. You're looking at, there's over, there's about a hundred players who have, who are averaging at least three pull up field goal attempts per game. Andrew Wiggins' effective field goal percentage ranks ninety eighth among that group. So the fact a- that they're so clearly a plus despite his shooting is maybe encouraging. Yeah, uh, is it? Do you find it worrisome I mean, that defense has become but- their identity though since the trade? Um, I don't know if that's worrisome necessarily. I think Carly. I think in the sense is it's sustainable would be. Yeah. Well, I I think you make a fair point that at some point it seems like uh, Andrew Wiggins shooting percentages are going to have to catch up to the team, especially if he's a guy that carries a huge uh, percentage of the offense in in terms of just shot attempts. Um, But I do think Carl Anthony Towns is probably going to continue to get better over the course of the season. The difference between him pre and post, uh, Butler is pretty big too. That that, um, that definitely was like, I, I know people were quick to criticize him as well, and there are there are times where it looked like he checked out on games. Even Jim Pete said something in one of the games this year for Minnesota that Towns just didn't want to play basketball, which is that <laughs> night, which was like it was so bizarre to hear. But you know, uh, I think, yeah, like you said, they probably let it drag on too long, but I do think they got a pretty good return. And if you can get back to last season and the season before Carl Anthony Towns, then you're, I think you're back on a pretty good track. Um, you still have the Wiggins contract looming, which is not great, obviously. But I, I think you've sorted some things out here in the short term. 
that's good on the Timberwolves. You're all you're all wrapped up there, I believe. That brings us to the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, who I don't know why I didn't. I have it pulled up, but for some reason I didn't write down the Memphis Grizzlies as is vitals. So they're thirteen and nine as we record this. They are thirteenth in net rating, twenty fourth in offensive efficiency, and fifth in defensive efficiency. I have to give them an A. I know there's been slippage of late and there there definitely need to be concerns with the with the offense um on this team. They're just exceeding every expectation I had. I didn't put them in the playoffs. I didn't have Marc Gasol when I did my top 100 rankings this year in uh the top 50 players. Uh, he just wasn't in there and he has been absolutely spectacular. And Mike Conley's been great. He started out just looking at his efficiency a little bit slow, but he's picked up. They're Kyle Anderson is, is somehow playable for them, even though I'm not a fan of his like perpetual two of five performances. And it's really hard for him to operate with them when he's not really at the four. This is just a, a really solid team. They also haven't been like terribly healthy this year. You look at Dylan Brooks has missed a bunch of time. Uh, you can't really, the Chandler Parsons thing is just basically whatever at this point. It, it is what it is. And so the fact that they're, right there and they're in the thick of the western conference playoff race it's just it's really impressive to me and if they're going to play so well at home while maintaining close to 500 ball on the road that's going to be really a a tipping point for them and and so i've been super impressed with this team jaron jackson is quickly becoming maybe my favorite rookie even though i'm a huge luka Doncic fan and he is the focus of my key stat for this team So throughout NBA history, he's on pace to become just the 12th rookie to average at least two blocks, one steal, and 15 points per 36 minutes. Now, if you sort that group by true shooting percentage, no one matches his mark of 60.4. That's his true shooting percentage. And I'm going to give you the the rest of the top five in this group among true shooting percentage. David Robinson at number two. 59.7. 59.7. Hakeem Olajuwon at number three, 56.4. Chris Weber at number four with 55.9. And this is random, but still true. Uh, Benoit Benjamin at 55.1. He was with the Clippers that year, 85-86 season. Vladi Divox is number six, by the way. Robert Parrish comes in at number eight. So there are some... Sean Kemp is number 10 on this list. This is some really nice company to keep. And he is... Uh, there are a lot of people who think he's going to end up being the better all-around player than Luka Doncic, and I don't want to fall into the trap of, oh, he'll be the better two-way player. He has a really good chance of being the best player from this draft, as transcendent as Luka Doncic looks already. This draft is awesome. Um, Luka looks great. We, we already mentioned Wendell Carter when we were talking about the Bulls. And Jaron Jackson, I agree with you, he has a chance to be the best um, of this whole group. I was blown away by him at Summer League. Um, he just looked the part from the very first second that he played with NBA players um, and continues to do so in, in regular season games. Did you listen to the uh, Zach Lowe podcast with Mike Conley? I think it was last week. I did. And also, there's a lot of Grizzlies content there. They had Woj with J.B. Bakerstaff. That was an interesting yeah. podcast, too. That was a good one, too. Um, and I, th- I think it was the Lowe one where he asked Conley, what is, you know, what does Jaron Jackson have to work on? He said, the only thing right now is fouls. Um, and I think he's averaging he's averaging 5.6 fouls for 36 minutes, which obviously isn't great. But um, if he gets that under control, I I don't know what you do with that guy. Um, 
he's already hitting threes at a better rate than I thought he would. He's at 35%. Not great, um, but average will force defenses to go out there and, and cover him. Um, that true shooting percentage being over 60 is huge. They, to, you know, Mark, Mark Gasol and Mike Conley are obviously a huge part of why they are back in the mix um, with those two guys healthy for the last decade now. Um, as long as they're out there, the Grizzlies are pretty competitive. But Jaron Jackson is a huge part of it, too. He's he's a very worthy number three already. And then they're getting some surprise contributions, I think, too. Like, I never would have imagined Shelvin Mack would be such a steady, consistent <laughs> contributor for this team. Um, you know, he went from being a punchline, that Orlando Magic tweet, congratulations to Shelvin Mack for leading, <laughs> it's like three point whatever. Um this season, he's really, really solid. He's shooting 45% from the field, 40% from three, averaging almost 10 points. Garrett Temple's been solid for them. Um, I mean, they, they're just getting contributions. And like you said, they haven't been healthy, so they've had to have random guys step up. Wayne Selden's been okay here and there. Kyle Anderson, um, somehow playable, I think, is the nicest thing. Um, that's one of the best compliments I've ever heard, so shout out to you for giving that to Kyle Anderson. Um, just... I think a ton of people underestimated um, not just what they would be like with Casal and Conley back, but how deep they would be. I, I couldn't have imagined they'd get some of the contributions they have this season. The depth is really surprising. And props to Jermichael Green, who you know has been – I stand for him for quite some time now. He accepts a role coming off the bench when, when he returns from injury. Uh, they talked about that, J.B. Bickerstaff and Woj on the podcast, about how yeah. Green told him, I love what's happening here. I just want to be a part of it. That's – you know, I mean, he's not he's not a star, so you wouldn't think he's a player that should have that type of ego. But he was a starter, and to kind of see that uh, to Jackson is a it's substantial to me. And he's quietly shooting above thirty, uh, excuse me, above forty two percent from three uh, on relatively low volume, as which is basically the disclaimer for everybody on the Grizzlies. Uh, still, unless your name is Mike Cunley or, or Marcus or Garrett Temple, that is still like that's just just a bunch of solid guys the one thing and the numbers do not support this but I'm going to chalk it up to an unbelievably small sample size please give me more of the Jaron Jackson to Michael Green front court i i like that uh they're a minus 17.6 points per 100 possessions in the 131 possessions they played together but i just think that's a a really versatile combination and i'd like to see a, a ton more of it as time goes on this year yeah i second that um we are on to the Los Angeles Lakers. I was also in charge of the key stat for this team, so I'll be going first after I read their vitals. They are 14-9 and nine as we record this. Um, they are 15th in offensive efficiency, 8th in defensive efficiency, and 11th in net rating per cleaning the glass. And you're, you're welcome for reading that out of the previous order than, than I did before. I gave them a B. It's I, Here's where I stand with them. I am just super not impressed with the offense and I'm not again I'm not chalking it up to Rondo being out and they've had to rely on James Moore and people aren't doing much everyone this is not the key staff everyone's aware of the Brandon Ingram on off splits with LeBron now I think there needs to be an adjustment period there they have to and I went through this with the Spurs I don't want to simplify it they just need to shoot more threes and they don't have the personnel to do it they're Mm -hmm. 24th in trays attempted per 100 possessions this year they're 23rd in spot up accuracy from three-point range and 27th over their last 10 games which is just not good I, I you need you want to see more from from a team more efficiency from a team that has LeBron James on the offensive side 
And LeBron is the focus of my key stat because we've talked about his transition into the twilight of his career. And I think he's proving this season people can bemoan how he picks and chooses when he wants to attack the rim. The guy is in his age 34 season. Let him do that. It's the defensive effort waxing and waning that's that's really a concern. But if you surrounded him with more shooters on this team, and the fact the Lakers didn't is just mm-hmm. mind-melting to me still. I think we're probably looking at a much better squad. And LeBron, I don't know if it's quietly, but it's it's sort of it's definitely suddenly. The step back three pointer has become like his trademark shot. And so I looked this up. NBA.com's tracking data on this goes back to the 2007-2008 season. Here are the number of three-pointers, uh, step-back three-pointers LeBron hit every year in this span. 07-08, 0. 08-09, 4. 2009-2010, 3. 2010-2011, his first season in Miami, 1. 2011-2012, 0. 2012-2013, 2. 2013-2014, 3. 2014, 2015, 3. 2015, 2016, 2. 2017, 2018, 12. 2017, 2018, 20. And this season, he's on pace to hit 52. I know, and he's shooting 53.8% on step-back threes right now. Here, I know I threw a lot of numbers out there, so I'm going to contextualize it like this. Between 2007, 2008, and 2017, 2018, LeBron made 50 step-back three-pointers. This year, he's on pace to hit 52. That is crazy, categorically nuts. Yeah. And I, I, I'm again, I, I think the biggest compliment you can give the Lakers right now is one, I think people are being too hard about the Brandon Ingram fit. They should be playing him more without LeBron. I still think that will come around. And you know, I'm a big Brandon Ingram believer. Two, at the beginning of the year, we, I think we both asked each other whether the Lakers were more likely to miss the playoffs or go to the Western Conference Finals. And the answer was almost universally, uh, uh, even outside of this podcast, they're more likely to miss the playoffs. Maybe some people still feel that way, but when you look at the chaos in the West and how if we assume the Warriors are at full strength, they'll rip roll through anyone. After them, there doesn't seem to be, even with we're getting to these teams, the, the Clippers, the Nuggets playing really well. There doesn't seem to be that clear-cut number two. And I would now say that the Lakers are more likely to make it to the Western Conference Finals, provided they don't face the Warriors in those first two rounds, um, than they are to miss the playoffs entirely. And that might be just the biggest compliment you can really give them at this point. Also, just a general shout-out to Josh Hart, who is perfect for this team. And the other thing, I went down a rabbit hole uh, before we did this, and... Maurice Wagner, I, I kind of get the logic when they were drafting him. They needed bigs, a sweet shooting, uh, a, a sweet shooting like tower. I, I get the pick if you didn't know LeBron was coming, but I don't believe they didn't know LeBron was coming. The plan was also always to sign impact players in free agency. Uh, you should always try and go for plug and play swingmen or wings first. Then, uh, in that scenario, and I was just thinking about what would Landry Shamit, who was drafted one pick after uh, Wagner, look like on this team? He would be yeah. a pretty damn good fit. Yeah. Did we give our grades for the Grizzlies? I gave the Grizzlies an uh, an A. I said it at the beginning. Okay, I don't think I did. I gave them a B plus, um, and a B plus is also what I gave the Lakers. I I just think they're a decent amount better than I thought they would be at this point in the season. Uh, I figured they would be sort of hovering around five hundred for most of the year, and and maybe things would click in with like a month or two to go before the playoffs um, if they were going to make a playoff run. Um, <laughs> 
now it's starting to look like they're they're basically a lock to get in and i echo everything that you're saying about them i i i thought it was funny every time the excuse was given for them not signing shooters this summer well we want to be a different lebron james team we want to surround him with a bunch of playmakers um and it's led to an average offense as most people probably could have predicted if you look at their top let's say eight guys in three-point attempts um LeBron James is probably their most reliable three-point shooter at 36.6. Kyle Kuzma is shooting 30.3. Lonzo Ball, 32.2. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, 32.5. Ingram, 32.4. I could go on and on and on. It's just not good. Um, Really the only, I think, real dangerous shooter they have that plays consistently with LeBron right now is Josh Hart. Uh, Rondo is over 40% right now, but you have to think that's probably going to come down at some point. Although he's been pretty good over the last, not 40% good though. Yeah. (laughs) Over the last few years of his career, I don't think that nine for 21 is going to hold. Um, so yeah, I just, I was so confused all summer long. We're, we're going to be the different LeBron James team. Um, they, they are going to have to consolidate some of this young talent into somebody else at some point, I think. Um, I don't know if it's at this trade deadline. I don't know if it's this summer, but I don't think this team is is quite done uh, being molded into LeBron's image. Yeah, it's not going to be just a, a free agency thing for them. I like that's what a lot of people are thinking. Even if they sign a star this summer, I think it's become clear that there's just going to be something else within them there. Uh, yeah, and they, I, I think some of those young guys should still be pretty intriguing to other teams. Like, Lonzo Ball's shooting has sort of returned to last season levels um, over the last couple of weeks, but he's still a really intriguing player to me. Uh, he's 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 at his absolute best, obviously, when he's got the ball in his hands. I think he's such a unique passer. Uh, we just don't really see that when he's playing with LeBron James for obvious reasons. So I, I think he would be interesting if he was sort of uh, at the reins of some team again. Um I'm not ready to give up on the Ingram LeBron fit either. I appreciate but that. <laughs> there could be some teams lurking around the league who think maybe the Lakers are ready. So let's let's put together an offer and see if we can pry him away. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely still the potential of a trade this season or this summer. The other thing that stands out to me with them, and LeBron just hasn't tried on defense this year, which is not new for the regular season. The <laughs> Lakers per cleaning the glass are in the 80th percentile of points allowed per possession when LeBron is on the floor, which is just, I think you have to, I think Ingram's been quietly solid there this year. Lonzo Ball has still made a Ball bunch is, of plays. Yeah, um, he's a defender. Josh Hart just works his ass off there. The And your most improved player pick, or Shelby's most improved player pick, JaVale McGee, has just been a big part of that. He It's not even just, his standstill rim protection is out of this world this year. 100 players are averaging three contests at the basket per game. JaVale McGee is second in opponent field goal percentage allowed at 47.5. And he's just, he's moving around on the defensive end when he's making plays there too. He's still getting up the floor. And for him to do that while he's averaging more than 24 minutes a game, which is a lot for him, uh, it's, it's super impressive. And the fact that he's become an anchor for what is now an above average defensive team, uh, which I don't know if we ever would have, Yes, I know the Lakers tried to sell that. Oh, we were signing Rondo and Lance Stevenson because of their defense. 
no, just I don't. I mean, you know, no. So they've been pleasant there, and and Javale McGee, that most improved player pick, it's not going to come to fruition, but it, it does not look as ridiculous as I I claimed it would before the season started. I'm still holding that hope for it. We are on to the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, who are the first place Los Angeles Clippers. As yeah, we re- oh, no, second place. They're tied for first with the Nuggets. Excuse me. Spoiler alert. They are 16-7 and seven as we record this. With they, player of the month, Tobias Harris, by the way. Yeah, that was that was weird. That was also <laughs> so, weird. Trey Young won Rookie of the Month. Yes. Both of those were so strange. And now I'm like really confused as to how those awards are selected. I'm officially with you there. Uh, I have more of a problem with the Trey Young thing than the Tobias Harris one. Also weird, yeah. <laughs> the Clippers are 17th in net rating. They are 5th in offensive efficiency and 17th in defensive efficiency. And you were in charge of the key stat for them, so I will hand the talking stick to you. Okay, my key stat for them. Um, <laughs> so getting back to Tobias Harris... Um, I did my average rankings thing yesterday and at least according to the advanced stats, he wasn't even the best player on his team for the first month of the season. Um, Two guys. What's that? Boban. Well, if Boban played more, he probably would have been above him too. Um, Oh, wow. That was mean. (laughs) But I, so my average rank thing, I take, I take, four different catch-alls and I do the cumulative and the rate version of both. And then I take those ranks and where the average of all eight are, um, I sort them by that average. That was a terrible explanation. But um, if you do that, I think Tobias Harris was in the 30s league-wide. Montrose Harrell finished 18th and Danilo Gallinari finished 24th. Um, more specifically, Montrez Harrell this season is 29th in real plus minus, 46th in player impact plus minus, 4th in win shares per 48 minutes, and 12th in box plus minus. He has been uh, just ridiculous this season. His per minute production is just through the roof. Um, He's averaging 23 points, 10 rebounds, 2.3 blocks, 2.1 assists, shooting 65% from the field. Um, He's just been a monster. Whenever I think the... I don't know how official this is, but I've seen a couple people on Twitter calling the Tasmanian devil. Um, and I, I think it's just so fitting with the way that he plays out there. Um, he's like a fully <laughs> realized Kenneth Fareed. I remember people were really excited about the first couple of years of Kenneth Fareed. Um, and then he just disappeared. And Harold is showing that there's still room for a guy who's, maybe a little bit undersized to play center, doesn't shoot threes, but if you just work your butt off, um, you can still be a really effective player in today's NBA. I don't really have anything to add there. I gave the Clippers just an A++++. I gave them an A++ too. Yeah, I gave them an A in infinite pluses because you can probably talk yourself into, like, having before the season, there could have been a scenario in your head where the Nuggets were close to the top of the Western Conference at this point in the year. For people who yeah. at least appreciate Nikola Jokic, a healthy Paul Millsap, who might be entering the Defensive Player of the Year conversation, uh, the Clippers were just not on that radar. And uh, they've just – Doc Rivers has to be the frontrunner for Coach of the Year at this point. There are still a bunch of other really good candidates, but this is – we talked about last year being maybe the best job he's ever done. This now yeah. might have superseded 
that. And I'm not doing a victory lap here because I'm wrong about so much. But Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been absolutely fantastic. He is seventh among rookies in defensive blocks plus minus. He's also seventh um, in value over replacement player, Vorp. So it's he's he's been so he's just been so understated there his pull-up game still uh needs some work but I, I think he'll get there I really do think he has more to offer as a score he's shooting better than 40 percent on a on a modest number of catch and shoot threes he looks like he's going to be able to to run a, a a really high functioning offense in the half court um into his career he's he's got nice percentages his his finishing around the rim 62 percent that's fine, but shooting 42.3% from floater range, 42.6% between 10 and 16 feet, um, shooting an okay mark on long twos, uh, but he doesn't take a lot of them, which is great. I'd probably like to see him up his three-point uh, volume long-term, but that will come as he has a, a quicker release. So I'm super high on Shea Gilgis-Alexander, just sort of reiterating the the depth of, of this year's rookie class. I hope we're not mortified by what happens in – the 2019 class or even the 2020 class is being touted as, as shallow. Yeah. It's going to be hard for some of those subsequent classes uh, to live up to this one. One last thing before we move on from the Grizzlies. Um, These are the Clippers. The Clippers. Good call. Um, listen to all these guys who currently have a true shooting percentage over 60. Tobias Harris, 61 and a half. Daniel Gallinari, 62.1. Montres Harrell, 66.6. Um, Marcin Gortat, 61.4. Boban, 67.1. Milos Teodosic, 69.8. Um, maybe, maybe they're due for some kind of a regression there and they'll start to come back to earth a little bit. But man, they have been so much better than I thought they would be. I, I figured they would be in the, in that big old mix that I always describe from like three to 12 or 13, but I figured they'd be towards the back of that. Um, I never would have imagined they'd be in first place at this point. Yeah, I mean, in their their SRS per basketball reference, which weights point differential and strength of schedule, they're fifth. So it's like, even if you're not, if, if you want to read it, don't want to read into their record that they're that high up this far into the season, it, it's they have this has to be closer to normal than not. Yeah, I never would have seen that coming. Uh, that brings us to the Houston Rockets. You were also in charge of the key stat for them. Uh, they are, as we record this, 11 and 12, 17th in net rating, 9th in offensive efficiency, and 23rd in defensive efficiency. What do you got for them? So, <clears throat> Chris Paul this season. Um, first off, Houston's scoring 106.5 points per 100 possessions with Chris Paul on the floor. And 111.1 when he's off. Um, That's different. (laughs) Then, here are a few numbers in which he is posting career lows. Or career worsts. um, Because one of them, low, is better. Um, Box plus minus. Win shares per 48 minutes. Player efficiency rating. Assist percentage. Turnover percentage. And field goal percentage. Um, I don't know. If this is the start of his decline, or if it's a fall off a cliff, or if he's going to bounce back, uh, but a big part of why they were so so good last season is because they had two guys, at least in terms of advanced numbers, who were top five players. Um, and if you have two top five players on your team, you're in pretty good shape. If you have one top five player, one 
top 30 player and then a, a hodgepodge roster after that, you're you're in a lot of trouble. And it's, you know, pretty clear at this point because the Rockets are, uh, I believe they're under 500 right under now. Under 12, yep. Under 12. Um, another thing that I don't think many people saw coming, uh, I don't think I gave my grade for them, um, but I gave them a D just because this is a big drop-off from a team that won 60-plus games last year. And the other reason I'm going to give them a D um, not just the fact that they're not playing nearly as well as they did last season. I was so confused by their offseason when it was happening. The Carmelo Anthony deal did not make sense to me. Michael Carter-Williams did not make sense to me. Um, I think a lot of people said James Ennis can give you you know, 75-80% of what Trevor Ariza did last season. Um, he's certainly not given them that percentage of what Trevor Ariza and Luke Mbamute did. So it's it was just a really odd off season and I think the results um maybe we should have expected them a little bit more maybe I don't think we should have accept, ex- expected a sub 500 team um but they they certainly like I said if you've got one top 5 player one guy who's on the precipice of maybe a career decline and then I don't even know what after that this is that's probably not fair to Clint Capella cuz he's been good this year but overall it's just a, a weird roster and they've got some things to figure out Chris Paul shooting under 54% in the restricted area, which is absolutely putrid. <laughs> yeah, and usually he's like money on those little pull-ups that he has from there and stuff. There's, I, I don't know if it's his health or his age or what, but something looks different for him. He was dealing with a hamstring injury, and those are tricky. Yeah. I also gave the Rockets a D. Th- their thinking was seems like it was flawed over the offseason. I'm not entirely sure what the alternative was. They probably should have looked at using their taxpayer mid-level exception, which they still have, which they most definitely aren't going to use. You're like, you're committed to this roster, but yet owner Tillman Fertittas talked about, you don't want to be a repeat offender, which has to happen over the life of this Chris Paul, James Harden tandem. When you just look at their salaries, plus Clint Capella, I, I don't know what other options there were. I wouldn't have given Trevor Reese the one year, $15 million deal. If he was going to come back for like eight over the course of a couple of years or three years, then yeah, yeah, maybe they they really they screwed up there. Luke Bob uh, Luke and Bob Mute, I he was more important to their success last year than people realized. They were worried about his shoulder. It seemed like though, and now he's missed time because of a knee injury this year. And so you can't look at that as necessarily a bad tipping point either. The replacements again just didn't make a lot of sense. James Ennis, I, I think that was almost a necessary signing, and I still think it was a fine pickup. And he's been okay. I mean, he's shooting almost forty percent from three and. He, he's been fine. I mean, he, he tackles a ton of of their, I mean, not well all the time, but he's still, they have to move him around defensively because P.J. Tucker, after him, you just don't have a ton of a- options. It's nice that they've uncovered Gary Clark, but, I mean, he's shooting under 28% from three. So it's time. And then 30% from the field. Yeah, in general. Uh, but the three-pointer is even just more concerning. Yeah. So, and yeah, the Michael Carter-Williams fit was weird. I, I don't know what they can do. They can hope to get lucky on, on the buyout market. Maybe Trevor Reza will come back to them or something. Who knows? Uh, there's not. They don't have a ton of trade assets. The Jimmy Butler move would have been interesting if they could have uh, stood it. I wonder if they could put a package together with, you know, maybe three first round picks and an Eric Gordon uh, plus filler to to maybe get the the Wizards to give them Bradley Beal. Or maybe if the Wizards are really going to tear down things. I don't think this is the route they want to go, but Otto Porter would be a fine fit in Houston. Just put together salary yeah. filler for Otto Porter. They need something, though, because 
it's just it's not working and you can't rely the efficiency in isolation from Harden and Paul was just as you said out of this world they were more efficient in isolation than the NBA's best offense overall which I think was Houston last year so that just it was never gonna stand and I don't again I don't know what the pathway to a solution is besides getting lucky on the buyout or trade market at this point just because you don't have any high variance players on the team anymore where you could say you know if Trevor Ariza does this or Luke Bamute does that I don't know who's that player now there's still PJ Tucker but after him it's you know maybe all right Eric Gordon should shoot better from three but he's been kind of you look at his volume is probably part of it but he's been not this bad. He's shooting 31.3% from beyond the arc right now, but he was at under 36% last year. How much is he going to come up? So a, a lot of things are concerning with this team, and I don't know. They're not going to miss the playoffs, and I don't I don't think you do anything too aggressive, but if you finish, and I'm being dead serious, if you're like 6, 7, 8 around ja- January 15th, or you're still outside the playoffs, it's time to look at Chris Paul's trade market. I'm I'm not sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. I just and don't. It'll be interesting to see how robust that is because that's a that's a lot of money for a guy that's going to be in his late 30s when that contract's over. Yeah. So, but I I would still I think you would have to look at it at that point and definitely this summer if you finish six, seven, or eight in the West because he's not uh, going to so get better. There's a GM who's uh, bold enough to do that. It's Daryl Morey. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It could be like a team that's just. Like super dead. What if Charlotte was like, "Hey, we want to pair Chris Paul and Kemba because they seem dead set on getting Kemba. They're not going to have cap space until 2020 at the earliest, probably 2021. They might just be like, let's try this." So, be wild. <laughs> um, moving on uh, to the Golden State Warriors, they are 16 and nine as we record this. They are fifth in net rating, second in in offensive efficiency, and 14th in defensive efficiency. And I, I don't mean to laugh. It was just their fifth in net rating, and they've just been fucking around the entire year because they you've had the Stephen Curry injury, the Draymond Green injury. Their defense has not been good. The Kevin Durant, Draymond Green stuff. It just feels like this team has lost. A ton of people have said this already. Some of it's joy. Uh, I was in charge of the key stat for them. I'm, I'm going to give them a... I'm going to give them a B minus because they've dealt with so much crap. I was just on the fence about this grade. I hadn't even filled it in yet as we were getting there because the Stephen Curry injury is substantial. People who think that Kevin Durant is the Warriors' most valuable player are just flat out wrong. Stephen Curry is so important they to paying attention. Yeah, to the, ge- ge- the just the geometry and the logistics behind Golden State's offense. They need to shoot more threes. Steve Kerr has said it. That's a fundamental failure. But again, Draymond Green has missed time. They're not particularly deep. It's that they're still here, that it still feels like no one's going to beat them, uh, at least in the West, en route to the NBA Finals, is is still kind of flat-out amazing to me. Uh, the stat I have for them is on the defensive end, of course, because if you look at – this is a simple number, and it's not the stat, but if you look at their defensive ranks since 14-15 uh, when this run started, first in 14-15 – Fourth in fifteen sixteen, second in sixteen seventeen, ninth last year, fourteenth this year. Like that's been, I, I mean, you talk about being in cruise control. I know Draymond Green's missed time, the center position's in flux, but wow, they are allowing. And here's my number for them: sixty six point eight percent shooting at the rim, which is their highest mark, their worst mark that they've allowed at the rim since at least two thousand three, two thousand four, LeBron James's first season. 
in the NBA. And that's just as far back as Cleaning the Glass's database goes for this. And it's it's not even close, by the way. Their their other worst mark came in 05-06, uh, when they allowed 62.9% shooting at the rim. I don't know if DeMarcus Cousins is going to help that upon return. Maybe Draymond Green helps a little bit because the numbers were wonky when he played center last year. Uh, this year, they've they've sort of evened out, so th- there's that to really consider. Th- this team does have its issues. Maybe they'll be lucky on the buyout market. What if Trevor Ariza, you know, he has his payday this year. Let's say he agrees to a buyout with Phoenix and just decides he wants a- another ring, so he's going to go to the Warriors. That would be that would be huge uh, for them. So. I think a, a B minus is fair, and this team is going to get better. But it does kind of suck that they no longer seem as as fun as they used to be. Maybe Stephen Curry, now that he's back, though, brings brings that joy with him. Yeah, the the fun factor of the Warriors has gone down steadily since the seventy three win season. To me, um, I was maybe a little bit hard on them. I gave them a C, and as you were explaining everything. That they, I mean, the Stephen Curry injury was obviously huge. Dealing with the tension between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant is big. Clay Thompson hasn't shot all that well, um, so maybe, <clears throat> maybe they deserve some kind of a pass. I just thought they would be better than they are at this point. Sixteen and nine, uh, fourth in the Western Conference, about a quarter of the way through the season. I just, you know, you don't expect to see the Warriors in fourth place <laughs> at any point, really. So maybe that's why I just kind of defaulted. To a C, um, to sort of back up the, and, and I've probably shared some form of this number on the podcast before, but to back up the Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant stuff, um, since Durant joined the team, and I haven't updated these numbers in a few days, so they might be slightly different, but they're it, it'd still be within a tenth of a point here and there. Um, when Durant is on the floor without Curry. The Warriors are about one and a, plus one and a half per 48 minutes. When Curry is on the floor without Durant, they're around plus 14 per 48 minutes. Um, he's just so clearly the most important player on this team. And I still think probably, not probably, he, he's the best offensive player in the NBA right now. And I think he's getting closer and closer to being, you know, a surefire best offensive player of all time. So um, he's... <laughs> Really, really important to what they do. Maybe maybe I should give them a little bit of a pass on the grade for that because he missed such a big chunk of time, but I went with a C for them. The the last thing I'm just going to say on them, their their offense, while it is efficient, they just, their shot profile is not great. And the, I'm not – Kevin Durant isn't the sole difference and not having Curry impacts their three-point volume. But if you look, the year before they signed Kevin Durant, they were 29th in frequency – of all mid-range jump shots. This year, they are second. Almost 41% of their shots are coming from the mid-range. Their their season before they signed Kevin Durant, they were first in three-point attempt rate. This year, they're 20th. And they were 14th last year. They've been missed. If anyone's thought they were this high-volume three-point shooting team for the past couple of years, they've been kind of off there. But it, that needs to give there, and Steve Kerr has already said something about it. Yeah. Oh, and Draymond Green, if he comes back and their defense rebounds, that's going to be a nice defensive player of the year case for him. If they can somehow creep back into the top seven or five. Yeah. Um, on to the Denver Nuggets. Um, we're going to blow through these last two teams since you need to go. Uh, their offensive, uh, excuse me, they're, they are 16 and seven as we record this first in the West. 
They are fourth in net rating, eighth in offensive efficiency, and third in, third in defensive efficiency. And you were in charge of the key stat for them. I gave them an A, first of all. They've been you know, tied for first at, at this point in the season. Uh, like you said, I think some people probably could have expected him to be this good if they were um, you know, smart about Nikola Jokic over the last couple of years. My stat for them... My stat for them. I say the suspense is building. <laughs> Nikola Jokic has 12 games with at least 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. Um, that's 20th all time to have 12 of those games. Um, the only players who had more such games at Jokic's age Oscar Robertson with 66, Magic Johnson with 28, and LeBron James with 17. Um, there's, I think people are starting to come around on him, finally. They're starting to figure out <laughs> how important he is, how good he is. Um, he's not the only player on that team. Obviously, Juan Hernan Gomez has been good. Gary Harris has been good. Um, but all in all, um, they've, I think they've been about what I expected, maybe a little bit better. So I'm going to go ahead and give them an A. I give them an A plus as well. And here's, here's how I'm going to contextualize that. I didn't give them all the pluses because I think they're far less of a surprise than the Clippers. And this is this is a loaded way to frame it. Michael Porter Jr., Isaiah Thomas, and Will Barton have played a combined 54 minutes this season. And the Nuggets yeah. are still sitting at the top of the West. Maybe you yeah. don't think Isaiah Thomas can help this team. Uh, their backup point guard situation is still kind of fluid. I know Monte Morris has given them some good minutes. Uh, Jamal Murray with the bench units have been interesting, but that's... They're going to get – maybe Michael Porter Jr. doesn't play this season, and who knows how good he would have been, but there's a chance that they get deeper and better when looking at uh, when Thomas will play or at the very least when Will Barton plays, who who he man point guard for them a lot last year. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about that. I mean, they're they're not close to full strength, and they're still playing really, really well. Beating Toronto in Toronto I think is a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, you talk about a the- trademark win. Yeah, if, with with the way that the Raptors have been playing this season, to go on there and, and steal that and to do it with an, a Jokic triple double, I think that should open some eyes for sure. Um, that, it's really just quick on them because they've been so good. Um, the Dallas Mavericks, who are making you look good at the moment, <laughs> uh, they are eleven and ten as we record this, and if the playoffs began today, they would be the eighth team, uh, eighth seed, excuse me. So they are in there. They are 16th in net rating, 12th in offensive efficiency, 15th in defensive efficiency. I gave them an A uh, just because I didn't have them. I had them as a team that was going to, if they they weren't going to tank right away, but I thought they were going to lean into it. Maybe that's still possible because of how jumbled and closely contested the West is. But they look like they're going to be a part of the playoff race. Riz Carlisle is someone else that we need to consider for coach of the year. I have two stats on them. One of them has to be a Luka Doncic stat because he's just, he's already their best player. He is, he had, he controls the offense of a team that's in the playoff picture as a rookie in the friggin' Western conference. And so I was actually not going to start with him, but I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start with him. Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, and Tim Hardaway Jr. are the only players shooting 40% on pull-up threes while attempting at least 3%, uh, three of them per game. This other one, as of now, Doncic is just the third first-year player to average at least 20 points and 4.5 assists per 36 minutes 
with a true shooting percentage better than 55. His company, the only other two players who have done this as rookies, Michael Jordan and Oscar Robinson. That is, I don't even know what the word is. That is inexplicable, (laughs) indescribable. Um, And the other thing I'll say, I mean, holy good, wow, crap, whatever you want to say, Dallas's bench. Again, just again, they have... They've scored. They're they're all bench unit, which doesn't get uh, injuries have mucked it up, and they're not getting a ton of run. They've only made uh, five appearances. Devin Harris, uh, JJ Barrera, Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney Smith, and Maxi Kleber have scored 111 points in 40 minutes on the floor together. That's just their offensive rating is above 135 during that time. Crazy. I, it's it's you could put whoever on the bench. You could put us on Dallas's bench, and Rick Carlisle is going to get uh, uh, at least 110 offensive rating out of it. I'm just I'm convinced at this point. And you look at all the injuries they're dealing with. That you know, Kleber has a knee injury. Nowitzki hasn't played yet. Think about how the bench is going to be interesting when he plays. Doncic yeah. is dealing with hip stuff. Barrera is dealing with a mouth, and it's just it's all over the place. And yet they're still so good. Yeah, they're. Um... Even I, who was, you know, I think higher on them than most, I, I thought they might finish around 500. I thought it would take them a little bit longer than this to figure things out. Um, that they're above 500 right now is impressive to even me, one of the one of the people who was high on them. Um, the bench is a huge part of it. And I think that's one of the reasons I was pretty high on them is because I looked at lineup data from last year and, and saw all these really good bench lineups that just didn't play that much. And I thought, that they really were tanking. Uh, let's leave the Dennis Smith lineups out there as much as we can and get higher and higher in the draft board. And obviously it worked out for them because now they have Luca, um, and they, they still have a lot of these same bench lineups. Um, and now they're playing the lineups that work a little bit more and it's, it's obviously working. Um, (laughs) one of my favorite things about this season for them, I think I gave them a I gave them a B plus. I should probably give them an A too, but I'm going to stick with B plus. Whoa. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> one of my favorite things about them this season is Maxi Kleba. He has one of the just strangest uh, stat profiles. He averages two and a half blocks and 1.9 threes uh, per 36 minutes. I don't, I don't know how many people, well, first of all, not many people knew anything about him when he came over. I didn't really know much about him when he came over to the NBA. I, I wouldn't have imagined he would be. I always said he was a more athletic Dirk. I, never said that. <laughs> I, I never would have imagined uh all these blocks per game from him. Um, but yeah, their, their bench units are insane. Uh, Harrison Barnes has actually been pretty good over the last couple of weeks. He's shooting over 40% from three West Matthews after a weird start to the season when he was just chucking like crazy. Um, I think he's gotten better in the last couple of weeks as well. If the, if the starting lineup eventually becomes, you know, pretty good too. And they've got that with the bench, they, they could, you know, continue to hover around 500 for this whole time. Yeah, I don't, uh, it's just, it, the Dennis Smith Jr. stuff is interesting. I'd like to see how they progress with him on the floor as time goes on. There are a lot of Mavs fans who already seem out on him, and he's been really good. He's been better off the ball than I expected, and so I think there's a clear fit with Luka Doncic there. He's just not impressive defensively when you look at his physical tools. He's a sophomore point guard, though. I don't think it's necessary to be out on him now, but that's probably the biggest thing to monitor with this team is sort of his long-term future and a quick wrap-up on the Mavericks right now Brooke Lopez is the only uh seven footer uh, or player who seven stands seven feet or taller to average 
at least two blocks and two three-point makes per 36 minutes. The next, the first big man in NBA history, Maxi Kleba, has a chance to join him <laughs> as one of the first two players. He's at 1.9 three-point makes per 36 minutes and well over two blocks per 36 minutes. Oh, Maxi, I'm in on it. Um, anything else on the Mavs? No, I think they've been – the West is just – now that we've wrapped up the, these grades, we just have to reiterate how nuts it is. The Jazz, as we record this, are in 14th place, and they're yeah. a game and a half out of the playoff picture. And only like, what, five and a half back of first place. Yeah, that's true too. Crazy. Yeah. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine – Nine teams between 11 and 13 wins. Ten teams between 11 and 14 wins. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> so we have officially wrapped up our grades for the Western Conference. We did it. Um, if you have any gripes about the grades that we give, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Harbin Max. Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Uh, the sponsor is at NBA underscore math. I did a different order on those than I usually did and almost threw myself off. Um, you were recap still just, just riding that Maxi Kleba wave. Yeah. Recap of our grades. I gave the Jazz a D plus, um, the Spurs a C, the Kings an A, the Trailblazers an A minus, the Suns a C, the Thunder an A, Pelicans B, Timberwolves B, Grizzlies B plus, Lakers B plus, Clippers A plus, Rockets D, Warriors C. Nuggets uh, A, Mavericks B plus. You gave the Mavericks an A, the Nuggets an A plus, the Rockets a D, the Clippers an A plus 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 plus, the Lakers a B, the Grizzlies an A, Timberwolves C plus, Pelicans B, uh, Thunder A minus, Suns D, Trailblazers A minus, uh, Kings B plus, Spurs C minus, Utah Jazz C. Say that five times fast. Uh, all those grades. Um, until next time. As always, we uh, appreciate ratings, reviews, subscriptions, and we leave you with the shout-out to Benno Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.